I'm guessing that many of you have seen one of these before. Uh, I remember seeing people use these uh, all the time growing up on the beach. Uh, this is a, a metal detector. And you know how a metal detector works is uh, you, you turn it on and you go over some ground. Hopefully it works. And if there's metal, it just kind of beeps and goes off if there's something underneath the ground. I, I found myself uh, recently thinking it would be really nice if someone would make something like this for truth. That if someone would create a truth detector that I could just kind of scan over anything I watched, anything I heard, anything someone else said, and if it was false, it would start to say, beep, 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 right? Like, like if I heard, the Cowboys are a good football team. <laughs> beep, beep, beep. If, if I heard Black Friday shopping is fun. <laughs> beep, 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 right? And, and I, I say that half in jest and yet half serious be, because there are so many messages that come our way in our lives. So many messages telling us what we should believe, how we should think, what's important, how we should live, how we should feel over and over and over again. And it'd be really nice if there was a truth detector that could just kind of scan over those messages and tell me, no, this is, this is true, no, this is false. And yet I also think that my desire for a truth detector in some ways exposes my laziness that I don't want to have to do the work of discerning what is true and what is false. I want someone else just to tell me, someone else just to point out for me, this is true, this is false. And yet knowing the truth requires the work of discernment. Knowing the truth, we've been doing this series on the truth, and the big idea this morning is simply this, that knowing the truth requires doing the work of discernment. Now, I, I want to clarify that statement before we even jump into our, our passages this morning. And I want to clarify it in this way. D discernment is not just about the difference of knowing what's true and what's false, although that's mainly what we're going to focus on this morning. Discernment is also the, the work of knowing what's good and what's better. Discernment is also the work of knowing how to apply the truth of the Bible to situations in our lives that may be more gray than black and white. And, and discernment is also about knowing the difference between capital T truth and lowercase t truth, being able to evaluate what's more important and what's less important. And so I, I want that in the back of our minds. It's, just, it's not just this black and white thing, but, but it applies to more than that, even though we're going to focus mainly on the idea of what's true and what's false this morning and how discernment connects with that. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. Uh, we're going to be there as well as Romans 12, 1 through 2 and 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 through 22. But if you just want one place to kind of camp out, I would say Hebrews 5, 11 through 14 is where we'll look at the most this morning. But I want to I read all these passages to start out this morning and, and then have us look at or, or think about four questions in relation to discernment. What is discernment? Why is discernment so important? 
Uh, how do we grow in discernment? And then what's the goal of discernment? Or what are the goals of discernment? So, so with those questions in mind, let me pray and then let's read together out of those passages in scripture. Father, we want you to guide our time this morning. We want you to equip us to be people who know the truth, who love the truth, who hold fast to the truth, and who live in line with the truth. And the only way that can happen is through your spirit working in us to make all those things happen. And so we pray for your spirit to, to work and to speak through your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Starting in Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Then Romans 12, 1 through 2, it'll be up on the screen as well, but if you, you can turn there if you want. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then finally, 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 through 22. But test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So, First of all, if we're going to talk about discernment, we should know, well, what is discernment? What are, we, what are we talking about when we have that in mind? And I've kind of already given some suggestions to that, but I want to give at least a definition for what we're talking about this morning. Tim Challies has written a, a great book on discernment called The Discipline of Spiritual Discernment, and he defines discernment in this way. He says, discernment is the skill of understanding and applying God's word with the purpose of separating truth from error and right from wrong. So again, discernment is the skill of understanding and applying God's word with the purpose of separating truth from error and right from wrong. And I think that's a pretty good summary of what we just read in all of those passages from Scripture. Hebrews 5.14 says discernment involves distinguishing good from evil. Or in other words, it it involves being able to separate out right from wrong and true from false. And, and then 1 Thessalonians 5.21 through 22 says, so that we might be able to hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. So there's this distinguishing, separating, making a judgment. We might ask, well, how do we distinguish between truth and error? And, and Romans 12.2 and 1 Thessalonians 5.21 I think give us an answer to that, where they speak of discernment as testing. In fact, Romans 12, 2, the word for test and discern is actually the same word there. Paul says that by testing, you may discern. It's the exact same word, test and discern. It's just translated differently. 
The word test is often connected to the idea of testing some metal in order to be able to see, is it real or not? So you might think if someone offers to sell you a gold ring or a diamond ring, you want a way to be able to test, is this ring real or is it fake? Discernment is taking some claim or message or idea and being able to test it in order to discern, is it true or false? Is it right or wrong? Or, or here's the definition I'm giving based off that, and it's kind of just repeating what Tim Challey said, just shorter. Discernment is the skill of separating out truth from error and right from wrong. Now, here's the problem, though, when we hear a definition like that. We can immediately think that discernment will be easy, that it will be simple, that it's just, just knowing the difference between true and false and right and wrong. Okay, that, let's, we can do that. That's simple. We, we can picture discernment, I think, almost like knowing the difference between a piece of paper and a $10 bill. Everyone knows that, right? Discernment is far more like being able to tell the difference between a real $10 bill and a counterfeit $10 bill. Can you tell on that picture which one's real, which one's fake? Now, you might be able to, but, but it takes more time and it takes more effort to be able to figure out which one's real, which one's fake. I'm not going to tell you right now. We'll come back to it later in the message, and I'll tell you which one's real, which one's fake. Charles Spurgeon famously said, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It is knowing the difference between right and almost right. It's knowing the difference between what's true and what's half true. It's being able to take truth and error that are often mixed together and being able to separate them out. So take, for example, the statement, God wants us to be happy. Is that true or is that false? Is that somewhat true, somewhat false? Is that missing so, right? What, how do we know? Now, now, my point here is simply this, that when we think discernment will be easy, we don't put any time and effort into actually growing in discernment because we think, well, that'll be easy, that'll be obvious. And yet when we know it will be challenging, we realize, okay, this is something that is important for me to grow in. Second question then, that gets kind of into this. Why does discernment matter? Why does discernment matter? Why is it important for our lives? And I want us to, to answer that question by looking at three biblical reasons from the passages we read along with another one, and then two cultural reasons. Why is discernment important? I want to I suggest three biblical reasons, two cultural reasons. So here's, here's the first biblical reason. Because our spiritual maturity depends on it. Hebrews 5.14 comes in the context of the author rebuking his readers for being immature. And he's saying one of the things that marks their immaturity is their inability to distinguish or discern between what's true and false and right and wrong. He's, he's not mincing words here. He's essentially saying you are babies. He's saying you should be adults by now, but you're still acting like babies. And, and part of what shows that is the inability to discern. We have a 10-month-old son in our house right now, and he's just recently learned to crawl all over the floor. And so he crawls all over the floor exploring. 
And as he explores, he comes across things on the floor that were left there accidentally. And anything he finds on the floor, he immediately tries to stick in his mouth. Right? Like a piece of paper? That looks delicious. A, a golf ball? I think that might taste good. Dog food? Oh, dog food is the best. Let's have more of that. Right? See, babies don't know the difference to be able to say, this I should eat, this I shouldn't eat. And the author of Hebrews is saying, immaturity in Christians shows up in the fact that we are unable or simply don't care to distinguish between what's true and false and what's right and wrong. Without discernment, we will not grow as Christians or in our faith. Second, because our spiritual life depends on discernment. We've already said in the series that truth has life or death consequences. And so too, discerning the truth has life or death consequences. In Romans 12, 2, Paul essentially says we're going to be moving in either one of two directions in our lives. Either we're going to be conformed to this world, its way of thinking, its valuing, its desiring, which is ultimately opposed to God, or we're going to be moving in the direction of being transformed into the image of Christ. And he says part of how that happens is us being able to discern what is good and right and true and live in line with that. One well-known pastor said the greatest danger of the popular media is not a one-time exposure to a particular instance of sin, as serious as that can be. It's how long-term exposure to worldliness, and I would add their exposure to worldliness without being discerning, what he calls little chunks of a poison pill, day after day, week after week, can deaden our hearts to the ugliness of sin. The sad reality is the pastor who said that quote is no longer a Christian and has walked away from the faith. See, discernment matters for our spiritual life if we want to continue in the faith. Third, because there are false teachers who will try to deceive us. Second Peter 2, 1 through 3 says, There will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. All too often, we can be prone within the church to accept anyone or anything that bears the label Christian. False teachers bear the label Christian. And we can be so prone at times, and I'm speaking about myself here too, we can be so prone at times to say, well, it's a Christian movie, therefore it must be true. Or it's Christian music, therefore what it says has to be true. Or he's a well-known pastor with a blog that thousands follow and a huge church, so he must speak all truth. We need to take seriously that if there were false teachers in the first century, then there are false teachers in the church today. And that, that shouldn't cause us to be cynical and kind of be on a witch hunt for false teachers. It should just cause us to take seriously. We need to be discerning 
as we hear other people and what they're saying, including those within the church, including whoever stands up front from this pulpit. All right, those are, those are three biblical reasons. Let's think about two cultural reasons as well. First, because there is more information available to us than ever before. Living in the age of the internet means there is more information available to us than ever before. And we know this, right? We're going to talk more about this next week, but I want to hit on it here. The fact that there is more that we can consume and read and know is not necessarily a good or a bad thing. It can be both good and bad. It can be good because it can magnify the opportunity for truth to get out there and us to hear truth. But it can also magnify the opportunity for error to get out there and for us to hear error or error to spread very quickly. You might, you might think about it in this way. The, the existence of Amazon means that I can buy a really quality product quicker than ever before. And yet it also means I can buy a really junky product quicker than ever before. Amazon itself is neither good or bad, but if I'm simply a mindless consumer, it's going to create problems. So too, all the information we have is neither good or bad, but if we are just mindless consumers taking in more and more and more of it without being discerning, then it will create problems for us. Because that gets to the fifth reason, and the second cultural reason, because there are people who care more about your attention than the truth. Like, I, I hope we know this, but we need to know this, church. Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter do not ultimately care about feeding you the truth. They may feed you the truth, but they care more about grabbing your attention and holding it. So, too, Many of the media, big websites, as well as news media that we listen to or read, care more about grabbing and holding our attention than feeding us the truth. Again, this doesn't mean that we should be cynical of all media and everything. We, it, it just means that we need to be discerning in everything that we're taking in. I, I never put this together before this past week, but it's interesting to see, I think, the same things that motivate false teachers are the same things that motivate those today who care more about your attention than the truth. What is it that they're motivated by? By getting more followers and more money. That's what false teachers care about, getting more followers and more money. And that's what those who put out content today just with the goal of grabbing and holding our attention care about, more followers and more money. When we know that there are people who care more about getting followers and money than they do about feeding us the truth, it should lead us to want to be discerning in all that we take in. Now, now with that foundation for why discernment is so important, we've got to ask, well, okay, how do we grow in discernment then? This is so important for our lives. How do we grow in discernment? First and most importantly, we immerse ourselves in the truth of Scripture. Immerse yourself in the truth of Scripture. When we start to talk about discernment, we can be, quote, we can be prone to want a quick fix. All right, this is important. Okay, Kyle, give me the Amazon link that I can go to where I can buy discernment and have it. 
Even, I might even jump to, well, just give me that Tim Challies book and I can read it and then I'll be discerning. But, but discernment takes time to grow in. It takes energy to grow in. And there's no substitute for consistent, long-term reading, studying, listening to, and knowing God's word. The, the passage we, we read highlight the importance of this, if you look back at them. Look back at Romans 12 too. What is, what is discernment connected with? The renewal of our minds. How do our minds get renewed? By reading and knowing God's word. Or, or Hebrews 5, 11 through 14, the, the author is not just saying his readers are immature because they can't discern right from wrong. He's also calling them out because he says, you're dull of hearing. I'd say, well, what does that mean? Well, it kind of means like being lazy in listening to the truth. That they just no longer really care. That they just kind of don't really want to do the work of reading the scriptures or hearing the truth. That they just want to be spoon-fed certain answers. See, there is no substitute for being able to read and know God's word to make us discerning. Why? Why, why is immersing ourselves in the scripture so important if we want to be discerning people? because we need to know what's true in order to know what's false. Last week, we talked about the idea that Scripture is our ultimate source and standard of what's true. And we need to know what's true if we want to know what's false. In in Acts 17, Luke tells us about these people called the Bereans. And And he tells us they were listening to Paul with eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. This person, Paul, who no doubt had a reputation by that point as being a teacher of the scriptures, they're listening to him, but then they're looking and saying, hey, does what he say match up with this? Does it match up with this? We, we should do that with every message we hear. You, you should do that with my preaching, with Brandon's preaching, with Joel's preaching, with every message you hear. The, the test of preaching is not, did I like it? Did it make me laugh? Did it hold my attention? Is, was it biblical? Was it first and foremost biblical? And that should be our question every time we hear any message. And then second, along with that, the the more we know what's true, the better we will be at spotting what's false. The more we know what's true, the better we'll be at spotting what's false. So if you want to go back to the picture again of the money, you can go back to the counterfeit money. You maybe know this already, maybe you've heard this before. How are people trained to spot counterfeit money? Not by being told all the different ways that money can be counterfeited, because there's all sorts of ways money can be counterfeited, but by being taught what a true $10 or $20 or whatever might be bill looks like, by handling it over and over and over again in their hands, by being able to look for the distinguishing marks of a $10 bill. And so maybe you already figured this out, but it's actually the bottom one that's the real one and the top one that's counterfeit. And one of the ways you can tell is that little stamp in the center is smudged on the top one, but clear on the bottom. There are probably some other ways you can tell as well. But if we want to know the difference between what's true and false, we immerse ourselves in the truth, become more familiar with the truth. The more we know and handle God's word and know the truth of it, the quicker we will be at being able to spot error. Now, now I want to stop and just apply this for a moment. We should spend more time delighting in the truth than we do 
denouncing all the errors. We should spend more time in our lives delighting in the truth, knowing the truth, than we do denouncing all the errors. And and I want to speak to parents for a moment, but I think this applies to us all. That we, we need to, as parents, we need to spend time training our children to know what is wrong and false and upside down about our world. And yet if we spend all of our time denouncing the things that are wrong, rather than spending more time highlighting what's true, in the long term we've missed it. So, so for example, if we spend more time talking about all that is wrong, with transgenderism and furries and the latest cartoon that has gone woke, then we do talking about what it means to be made in the image of God and what our identity is in Christ and the beauty of manhood and womanhood as God has designed them. If we spend more time denouncing the error than highlighting the truth, we've missed it. And we don't ultimately make ourselves discerning or our children discerning because we spent too much time focusing on all that's wrong. That doesn't mean we don't focus on those things. Don't hear me wrong. But it means we spend more time highlighting, focusing on, delighting in the truth. Now, with that in mind, we we might get to the second way we grow in discernment. Intentionally practice discernment. In in Hebrews 5.14, you want to look back at the passage, we can see discernment is a skill we're meant to practice and grow in. The author says there, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. They've got their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. The word powers of discernment there actually more literally just means like sense. Like talking about our sensory organs, like touch, smell, sight, taste, and hearing. That it's the sense that gets developed and trained over time as we use it. There are certain people in the world who are known as Q graders. Any of you know what a Q grader is? A Q grader is essentially a coffee-tasting expert. They've been certified as a coffee-tasting expert to be able to taste the small differences in coffee. And so if you ever buy like a nice bag of coffee and it comes with kind of those flavor notes on it, you know what I'm talking about? Where it might say something like, tastes like pear and caramel and autumn in North Carolina. Those notes are not there because some Joe Schmo like me tasted and said, tastes like coffee and pear and I, I don't know what else. They're there because an expert coffee taster who spent years developing their sense of tasting coffee has a palate that's being able to taste coffee and taste all sorts of little differences that the normal person can't taste. H- how do they get there? Well, because they spend years developing that s- sense. In the same way, discernment is like that. It's like a sense or a taste that we develop over time as we practice it and use it over and over and over again. And so let me just suggest some ideas here. I've heard recently of a a fun game. We've not done this with our kids, but I hope to do it at some point with them. A fun game you can play with kids called Spot the Lie. And here's how it works. 
that any time in any video they're watching, or really anything they're reading too, but if they're watching like a movie or a TV show or a YouTube video, if they can spot the lie, in other words, if they can tell you what is false and why it's false, they get a dollar. That might be a fun way with young kids to be able to start to train them to be discerning and filtering in what they're taking in. Or, or with older kids and teenagers, maybe it's just getting more, asking more open-ended questions as you talk about things. What, what, what do you think about this area? What, what, why do you think that way? Can you explain to me how you got there, right? Asking, maybe it's not those questions, but asking open-ended questions to try to help them grow in discernment. And, and I think for all of us, it might be as simple as we, we slow down and rather than just consuming, we learn to chew. Rather than just consuming, we learn to chew. And so maybe instead of reading five articles, we just read one and we slow down and filter out, okay, what's true in this? Why is it true? What's false? That as we watch TV, movies, or shows, we're not just mindlessly consuming. Trust me, I, I do that a lot. I'm not saying that. But, but we're getting better at trying to filter. What's true about this? What's false about this? Practicing discernment so that we grow in it. Third, have a process for discernment. In other words, when I come across some message, idea, or teaching, how do I or how do you go about discerning whether that's true or false or right or wrong? So, so take some statements as examples. Take the statement, all Christians are obligated to vote in political elections. Is that true or is that false? How do you know? T take the statement, I was born this way and God loves people just as they are. Is that true or is that false? How do you know? T take the statement, it's okay for Christians to use marijuana if it's legal. Is that true or is that false? How do you know? H here's our tendency, I think. We tend to say, I just want someone else to give me the answer. Right? I want a truth detector. Someone else, tell me. When I think what God wants is for us to do the hard work of discernment, and that as we do, he's helping train us to think biblically about all areas of life. So, so let me give you a, a sample process. And, and my encouragement in giving this is not that it's foolproof, like if you just kind of put it through these five steps, you'll spit out truth. It's more just like, here, here's an idea for how we might go about being discerning in our lives. It's pretty simple to remember. Uh, SPOTS is the acronym. So here it is. Summarize the issue. What's, what's being claimed? What am I trying to evaluate here? What, what might be behind it? Or what words do I need to define even in that, right? So be able to summarize the issue and what you're trying to figure out. Second, pray for God's help. We desperately need God for wisdom. We desperately need God and his Holy Spirit to help us be discerning. So we call out, God, help me as I try to discern whether that's true or false. Third, and this is probably where we spend the most time, observe the scriptures. Are, are there passages or places in the Bible that I know relate to this issue or this area? But, it, but it's not just that, because a lot of times there isn't one specific passage we can point to. It's also thinking, what, what are the themes of Scripture, and how do they relate to this? What does the Bible say about sin? What does it say about humans? What does it say about idolatry? What does it say about the government? What does it say, right? All these other areas that we're bringing to bear on this one issue then. In other words, we don't necessarily just look for one verse to give us an answer, though that may happen with some things. 
but more so we're, we're trying to filter what do I know of all the Bible says and all it speaks and how does it come to bear on this issue? And you might be thinking, that sounds like hard work. And I'd say, it is. It is. And I think it's easier over time as we practice it, but discernment is hard work. It's challenging. It's not simply being able to spit out an answer after two minutes. It's training ourselves to think biblically about all areas of life. Third, turn to others for wisdom. After you've observed the scriptures, turn to others you trust, others you know. Hey, what do you think about this? Where do you stand on this? How did you get there? Here's, here's what I'm thinking. Am, am I missing anything? What areas might I be missing? Or, or maybe it's reading two Christian authors you respect who, who actually might land just a little bit differently on a certain area. And you're trying to figure out why, why do they land there? What passages do they point to? All, all of that. For, or fifth, summarize your findings. Take time to reflect on, here's what I discovered. Here's what I learned, or here's what I think Scripture has to say about this, and, and here's where I stand on this. Or perhaps at times being able to say, I'm not quite sure where I stand on this, and I need more time to be able to continue to discern on this. Again, what, what's happening as we do that is it's not that we are able to take a stand on every single issue. That's what I'm saying. But it's that we're learning and being trained to be able to think biblically about all areas of our lives as we practice discernment. And so my encouragement or challenge you is take one of those statements I gave earlier, just a couple minutes ago, or come up with your own and put it through that process this week. It, it, it might not be doing all the steps, maybe you don't do the turn to others for wisdom, but, but just put it through that process. Or, if, or think, how do I, what's my process for evaluating whether something is true or false, and, and know how I go about that. All right, with those things in mind, I want to ask, what, what are the goals of discernment? What are the goals of discernment? This matters, this is how we do it. What are the goals? Where, where are we trying to get as we're being discerning people? Here's what the goal isn't. The goal is not simply to have the right answer. The goal is not simply to be where we can say, I've got the right answer and I'm standing on the side of truth and now I can tell everyone else why they're wrong. That is not the goal. In fact, if that's the end goal of discernment in our minds, it actually ends up inflaming our pride, which causes us to be undiscerning because we're not able and willing to admit where we might be wrong. The goal is not simply I'm going to be right, nor is the goal that life would be easy as I'm able to discern truth and false. Because often knowing and living in line with the truth is challenging and takes courage. And so it's not about having an easier life. So what, what, what are the goals then? Let's, let's look back at scripture to see two goals of discernment. First Thessalonians 5, 21 through 22 said, test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. The, the goal here is living a holy life, living a life that's pleasing to God. And we can see the same thing in Romans 12, 1 through 2 where Romans 12, 2 talks about discernment and how do we get it. It comes right after Romans 12, 1 that says we should offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The goal of discernment is to live a life pleasing to God, not simply to be able to spit out the right answers. 
Maybe you can think back for a moment if any of you had to take driver's ed in high school. When you took driver's ed, I remember having to take driver's ed, you learn a lot of things about driving, right? You learn about the rules of the road. You learn about how to operate your car. You learn about all the different signs. You, you learn about what might happen if you don't drive well. But the goal in learning all of that is not simply so that I can then spit out a whole bunch of truth about here's what it looks like to drive. The goal is so that I can get behind the wheel of a car and drive and put that truth into practice. So to the goal for us in growing in knowledge of truth, whether that's being in a Keystone Institute class, whether that's listening to preaching, whether that's reading the Bible, whether that's discerning the truth, is not just so that I can have the right answers. It's so that I can live a life that is pleasing to God day by day because I know more and more what does please him. And then second, the goal of discernment is to hold onto and advance the gospel. In 1 Thessalonians 5.21, Paul says, test everything, hold fast to what is good. That, that word for hold fast there is the exact same word that the author of Hebrews uses multiple times to talk about holding fast to the gospel. He says, for example, in, in Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. See, we, we would say that it's in the gospel that we found the ultimate good, or that it's in the gospel that we found the ultimate treasure because the gospel teaches us who God is and how we can, again, have a relationship with him. And when we find a great treasure, we want to be able to hold on to it and tell other, peoples about, tell other people about it. Think even back to the image of a, a, a metal detector in the beginning. Why, why do people use a metal detector? Because they want to find some treasure that's hidden under the sand or the dirt and then dig it up and hold on to it and show it to other people, right? Like if you were using a metal detector and you find a diamond ring, what do you do? You dig it up, you hold on to it, and you tell other people, look at what I've found. We believe the gospel is our greatest treasure because it introduces us or reconciles us to the God who's made us teaching us how we can be forgiven and live with him forever. And yet the gospel can come, become distorted and twisted in all sorts of ways, where it very easily becomes about us and what we do, rather than about God and what he's done. Or it can very easily become pushed aside for all sorts of other things, where other things become our main priority, whatever issue it might be, and slowly but surely we forget the gospel. And so we discern the truth so we can continue to hold fast to the truth of the gospel and be able to advance the gospel. Discerning the truth is about knowing, cherishing, and preserving the gospel, which is the greatest truth we have. That the God who's made us loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. So we discern what's true and what's false. We practice, we seek to grow, we ask for God's help, we go about the work of it so that in the end we might live a life that's pleasing to God and we might continue to hold fast to the gospel 
and advance it in our world. Father, we pray that you would make us into discerning people. God, I confess in my own sinfulness, there are so many times in my life where I just want someone else to tell me the answer rather than having you and your spirit train me to think more biblically. God, we want to be people who you train to think biblically about all areas of life so that we might be able to know the difference between what's true and false, what's right and good and what's wrong and not good, so that in the end we might live lives that are pleasing to you, honoring to you as we go through this life. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.